Destination podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast by thepilotreport.com about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 28, Aircraft Valuations, Running the Captain's Gauntlet, the FAA, our Picks of the Week, and more coming up now on this edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now, here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Rick Felty, Carl Valeri, and Len Costa. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast, episode number 28. I'm your host, Len Koss, and joining me today are the usual group of aviation poster children. In fact, if you're talking Marvel area, it's more like an aviation billboard, but hey. Hey, 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 I resemble that remark. <laughs> I, am, I am for hire, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good. We love you, my friend. Uh, so, uh, yeah, joining me today. Today is uh, starting first with um, with Mr. Carl Valeri. Where are you, and what what's what's new in the world? I I actually am. I just came in from Florida. I'm in New Jersey, and New Jersey is a hundred degrees. It's boiling out there. I'm ready to go back to Florida to cool off. <laughs> Florida is cooling off. How ironic! Yes. I would have never thought of such a thing. Well, actually, I I uh, was on another uh, podcast That's... and I had to sit through no sunshine for days because we we had a bit of a tropical storm there. That was very interesting. And uh, <laughs> blowing like cool. yeah, you were without power for some time too. Yeah, and a little bit. Of, there was hardly any power. But it was after the sun came out, they turned the power off. I don't know why. They, I guess they were clearing some branches off the trees, and it was actually a mess. I mean, the 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 water from the sewers was backing up. Um, it was it was just absolutely a mess. But uh, but we made it. You know, being on an island, you know, when the water gets up high, you worry about trying to get off the island. And sometimes the only way off is by boat or uh, swimmies. You got got those little swimmies from the pool from your, your days. Yeah, jail. little swimmies, and me and the little swimmies and the sharks. No, I don't think I'm gonna do that. <laughs> you could tie. You could. You could tie yourself. <laughs> Yeah. Well, good. That's good. And uh, Victoria, joining us from um, where are you and how are you today? I'm good. I'm in Frederick, as usual, uh, chilling with my uh, our cat and our hedgehog. And it's also 100 degrees here, but this is the first time in this new house turning on the air conditioning, and it feels good. <laughs> it feels good. <laughs> Excellent. Interesting. That's cool. I love the uh, pictures of the hedgehog online. Those are always fun to see. And uh, tonight, Mr. Rick Felty will not be joining us. There's some extenuating circumstances going on. He sends his apologies and best wishes, so we will press on without him. Let's do the pre-flight. Ah, once again, I'm Len Costa joining you from the dirty stealth down here in Houston, Texas right off the departure end of runway 15 left and right at Houston's intergalactic George Bush Airport. Watching, uh, that's right, intergalactic. Oh, well, if, you see some of, if you see some of the airplanes taken off out of here, you would, you would think that some of them were, well, anyway. But, um, yeah, so cool. Well, let's get the show on the road, as they say. Uh, a couple of quick announcements today. 
The Stuck Mike Avcast just received a few days ago our official media credentials for mm-hmm. Sun or for Airvent. I almost said Sun and Fun, but for, oh. for a, the EAA Oshkosh Air Venture 2012. Um, Carl plans on not we don't quite sure what days we're going to be there. Carl is hoping to be there for a couple of days, as well as myself. Uh, we already know Victoria is going to be there manning the aviation insurance resources booth. Uh, speaking of which, did you find out where your where your booth's located yet? Yeah, we're in. Um, shoot, it's written on my desk at work, Hall A, <laughs> I believe, and it's um, uh, booth eleven forty seven. It's by. Um, I'm trying to think of, we were always staying at home built camping and it's straight across from there, which was a very nice walk for me in the morning. Oh, good. All right. So, uh, so Victoria will be there working and, uh, you know, like we said before, go and go over, say hello, take a picture, buy some insurance, you know, all those good things. Especially that uh, third part. Yeah. Buy the, yeah. I don't want any photos. Just buy insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, we, we're going to be up there, uh, you know, for a couple of days and hope to run in with to, you know, hopefully get to see some of you, some of our listeners out there. Uh, Carl, you had an announcement actually about another air show going on right around Oshkosh time, as a matter of fact. Oh yeah, that's right. It's actually in, uh, South Dakota at, uh, the South Dakota air show in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Sioux Falls. And that's, uh, on the 21st to the 22nd. And they got some pretty cool, uh, performers there. Uh, they have uh, they have the Blue Angels and they have let's see the uh, oh the Harriers they're gonna have the Harriers there also so that'll that'll be a neat little show to kind of a primer for Oshkosh for those folks that are out there in Sioux Falls South Dakota. Sure, yeah, Sioux Falls is nice. I've spent some time out there uh, with the with the airline. It's it's a nice area. I like it out there. What's there to do in Sioux Falls? What's there to do in Sioux Falls? Well, there's um, <clears throat> let's see, there's. Uh, you can go down to the river where the falls are. It's actually a nice, it's a nice area down there. Pretty cool. Uh, one of uh, my new favorite restaurants from doing all this world traveling with this airline job. There's a, there's a great place that's not only in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, but also one in Fargo, North Dakota called JL Beers. With real, they have such a great selection of beer on tap and uh, some delicious hamburgers. Um, so now every time I go to those two places, that's, that's the new standard go for, uh, go for a burger and a beer, but, uh, it's just a cool town. And like I said, going down to the, you can take a walk down the river and it's nice. It's just a nice area. But I, I used to live up in the Midwest for five years. So every time I go up there, it kind of feels like home. So maybe I'm just a little partial anyway. Is that near some school? Like an aviation school? Where, where's, what am I thinking uh, of? Oh no, that's North Dakota. I'm thinking that's UND. North Dakota. Yeah. yeah. So that's, uh. Let's see, I've done that drive in the middle of the night at 2 a.m., and uh, I think it's about four hours. Wow. Mm. For a Dakota, that's not bad. Yeah, college kids. Road trip. (laughs) (laughs) Road trip. Yeah, road trip in the middle of a blizzard, a North Dakota blizzard at 2 a.m., yeah. Sometimes you don't make the best decisions. But (laughs) anyway, moving forward. Now entering cruise flight. So... Um, getting underway with the announcements there, um, we will, I'm going to hand it over actually to Victoria. She's got some cool information to share with us about aircraft, uh, valuation, some, some interesting information. Oh, is this lady's first around here now? I'm yes, that's right. Going we're going to mix it up and throw you under the bus first today. <laughs> oh. 
Thanks. So much for that. So much for that open door chivalry, right? Just throw her under I, the bus I, first. Yeah, here, bam, go, Victoria. <laughs> it's all right. I can handle it. Um, yeah. So I'm talking about uh, aircraft valuation today. Um, unfortunately, airplanes these days aren't the investment they used to be. Uh, they don't hold value like they used to, and sometimes when you sell them, uh, you end up losing. Um, it's not, you know, the clean swipe it used to be, especially, you know, for buying an aircraft for training. Um, this isn't the case for all aircraft, but we've been seeing it happen a lot more with uh, this economy and such. So anyway, um, it's important to know your aircraft's value, whether you're refinancing your aircraft loan, uh, buying or selling an aircraft or um, purchasing aviation insurance. Um, in regards to insurance, there are three reasons you want to have an accurate haul value. Number one, you don't want to underinsure the aircraft, nor do you want to insure it for more than it's worth. And lastly, you need to satisfy the bank. A problem with uh, underinsuring an aircraft is what's called constructed total loss. And this is pretty much when, in the case of a loss, the cost to repair the aircraft approaches its insured haul value. So this also kind of puts the insurance carrier in the position where they may profit through the sale of the aircraft, which is not their purpose of the insurance company. The basic problem when you over-insure your aircraft is, frankly, you're paying more than you should for coverage that you don't really need. This also puts the insurance company in a position of moral hazard, as they know that it would be just cheaper to replace the aircraft in the event of a loss versus repairing it. Finally, um, in regards to the loan on your aircraft, you have to keep the bank happy. I know that's not fun, and we don't like them, but unfortunately, in aircraft ownership, you kind of got to do that. Just like a mortgage, they want to make sure that your aircraft is worth what the loan balance is, as well as that they are covered in the case of loss. So most insurance policies have what's called a 90% breach of warranty. Uh, this comes from the assumption that when you took out your aircraft loan, you put down a 10% payment. Uh, if you happen to breach the terms of the policy, which is pretty rare, actually, um, and then suffered a loss, the remaining balance the bank holds would be paid off regardless. So that's how they're protected there. Um, a question we commonly get is what could uh, potentially breach a policy. Uh, examples would be a student pilot carrying passengers or a pilot who did not complete his annual training requirements as laid out in the policy. Of course, um, there's many ways you can get rough estimate of your aircraft's value um, by exploring the marketplace. There's many sites out there such as Barnstormers, Trade-A-Plane, and Controller. But it is important to remember that these are asking prices. And so they may not be represent the true value of your aircraft. This might be what the gentleman or woman selling the aircraft thinks it's worth. But in today's standards, it might be more or less, depending on the situation there is. And a lot of people get attached to their aircraft, so think it's worth a lot more than it is. The reason I actually you know, thought to share this topic with you today is because of the company I work for. Aviation Insurance Resources offers a free aircraft valuation service. Now, while this doesn't actually substitute for an aircraft appraisal, appraisals can take three to six hours of your time, and they cost money, and they can cost money pretty quickly. Um, at AIR, we offer a free 
<clears throat> excuse me, a free aircraft valuation using the Aircraft Blue Book Digest to book your value and take into account things such as engine times, paint, interior quality, and other extras like that. I'll give you more information about this in my pick of the week, by the way. So um, there you have it. That's my brief explanation on the importance of making sure you know what your aircraft is really worth. And I'm quite jealous now that I don't have one to go value myself. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple of questions. Can I, I, you know, yeah. concerning valuations and, and getting enough insurance for your airplane, there's two things. Okay, number one. There are policies I know in the uh, like the vacation home and the luxury car and the yacht policies that they have at, at different insurance companies where you can over-insure and actually get more money back and buy something better. Is that that's something that's not normal in the aviation world? Correct? Not that, that it's normal in the regular world. Yeah, that shouldn't be normal in insurance at all. The purpose of insurance is get you to back where you were. So if you had, if your car was worth seven thousand dollars and was totaled, you'd get a seven thousand dollar aircraft back or a car back. So you're not supposed to benefit and gain anything out of it. You're not supposed to come out with a better car, boat, or plane. And the insurance company isn't supposed to come out, you know, on top because of this either. So. Um, in insurance, it's always supposed to put you back in the same state you were before the loss. Yeah, because it's interesting because I, I did some work for this one company. And they were telling me that they, they could actually insure something for more than the value. And if you, uh, they would, like you said, they, a little bit of a moral hazard, they total it quicker that way and just give you your cash back. And so I thought that was interesting. And you can buy a yeah, better car. Exactly. But it was more yeah. luxury cars that they were doing, like the like Maseratis and those type of things that they were insuring. And uh, I, I've never heard of that before. Maybe you pay more up front in yes. your premium, yeah, something like that. Because oh, I've had yeah. I've heard it like advertised if your car is totaled, they'll get you the next year younger. So if you had 2005, they'll replace it with like a 2006. But um, right. technically, at least in insurance classes, you're not supposed to get out ahead because of it. Well, I guess, I guess uh, that makes sense. But the, the next question I have is, what about, um, for instance, we, this is years ago, had a wheel-up landing in a 182RG. Uh, it wasn't me. It was actually one of the other people in the club. And when we went to get the insurance renewed the next year, and this is after we did the repairs, first of all, I thought they would total the plane, and they didn't. Uh, and we put about 65000 into the plane of both insurance and of extra money to make it nicer. Yeah. And but the thing is, the next year our insurance went down. How that's kind of crazy, isn't it? I mean, uh, unless like you were saying, uh, and this is what somebody explained to me, the value had gone down so much that our insurance, even with the incident, uh, went down. I mean, have you ever heard of that happening? I, I have seen it happen. It's um, not uncommon for it. Usually does go up a little bit. Um, might not be like a double or anything like that. That it can go up a little bit. Sometimes it stays the same, and sometimes it does go down. It really just depends on how the insurance companies are competing, um, what their rates are at the time. And I think they take into consideration the type of loss and things like that. Gotcha. And it also, you know, maybe the pilots had a little bit more experience. And yeah, if your haul value went down, that can. There's so many factors that go into aviation insurance it's it's a lot different and harder to compare to than like your basic auto insurance right 
Now, I understand you, you give this this free estimate uh, or valuation of your airplane. Now, say you're shopping for an airplane and you go through a dozen airplanes trying to find one. Uh, an individual is not going to keep coming back to you. Are they or can they or is there some other place they can go to figure out um, the value of themselves? To, for their valuation? Yeah, just to get it. Like if I'm looking at, say, a Baron and yeah. it's, uh, I don't know, P, you know, 58 and I want it in 1985. How would I figure out how much that that's worth? Well, usually there's a sale price and most people when they call us, they're looking for a quote as well. So if I buy this Baron, I want an idea of if it's really worth what the selling price is. Also, I want to know what my insurance costs would be with it. So we have no problem you know, if you're looking between a few airplanes, I just did three for a gentleman a while back. So, you know, that's no problem. Just quick blue book. See if that's what you really think it's worth. If you think it's questionable, if you agree that, yeah, this Baron's worth that much, it's fine. We can go straight to the quoting process. So um, a lot of our agents can just tell you straight off the bat if that sounds too high, too low, or just about right. So. Gotcha. So like if you're if you're negotiating with somebody and then you go to the insurance and you say, hey, you know, I'm going to buy this for, say, 250000 and then they say, well, you know, the value of that is only about 150 then it's about time to go back and renegotiate that price, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it, it all really depends. Each um, individual situation is quite different. But if you ever are unsure or this is, like, new to you and you see a lot of other ones out there that are lower – yeah, definitely just give us a call, ask us. We'll put it through Blue Book and see what it says. You know, one thing that I thought was interesting about evaluating airplanes, and I, I always thought it would be neat if you could find out how many landings it had, uh, <laughs> you know, because I I would want to know that as far as the value is concerned because you could tell if it was being used for training or not. And, and usually a training. Carl, isn't that like asking your girlfriend how many people she dated before you? Uh, you don't really want to know? No, I don't want to know. <laughs> That's hilarious. Nice analogy, Len. You know, Len usually brings it down a notch, you know? That's why we love him. Oh, Way to go um, on a tangent. <laughs> but no, I mean, that's it, it would make sense. I mean, if the thing's got like a thousand landings, you know, you, you kind of want to know that and all. But I know they can track that in other situations like part 135 or 121, but... Boy, you know, if that thing has been hammered as a, in a training, you know, environment. But I guess you could tell that anyway doing a pre-buy. That's the other thing, too, is that say you value that aircraft and then, uh, you know, I suggest people doing a pre-buy inspection. I'm sure you folks do, too. Uh, but they don't have to to get insurance, right? You could just insure it without a pre-buy no, inspection. All, yeah, all we need is your information and let, know that you purchased it and, you know. Because I, I sell it right there. We don't see anything like that. That would be if if there was concern, that would go to the insurance carrier. Because I tell you what, that that can really bite you. You know, the, the, uh, I have a you know friend that bought an airplane and did it basically without a pre buy. He liked the looks of it, and while well, he wound up dumping forty five grand into it, like soon after he bought it. Yeah, why don't had, you? Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was going to ask. You can you can maybe answer this after, but I was a little bit more curious about what are some of the benefits of a pre-buy. I mean, your friend ended up having to throw a lot of money in, but was it for maintenance items or, I mean, would have this been stuff he would have learned oh, in a pre-buy yeah. or what, what, what are some, well, I hooked maybe, him up maybe with... either you can, you know, touch on a benefit of a pre-buy. Well, in my case, yeah, that, that would be the benefit right there. I hooked this guy up with a mechanic and the guy said there were so many obvious things that any mechanic would have caught. There's a couple things he wouldn't have, but there, there's some really uh, things that weren't even bolted down, you know, yeah. and <laughs> just simple things like that that you, they had no clue about. 
But uh, you know, in my case, that's I, I I'm a big believer. We did a, a quick uh, analysis of say compressions on our own with a mechanic and said, oh nope, this isn't going to work for us. They have to fix this first. We had low compression and you know mm-hmm. they have to fix the cylinder. But but I think you know I assume that you know Victoria, you you would be also. Uh, advising your clients to go do a pre-buy first. Before oh, doing definitely. You're, this is something you're going to fly. You can't just pull over if, you know, the engine breaks down. I think it's very important. Just like, you know, people get a home inspection before buying a house. It's a big commitment. So it's good to make sure that, you know, what you're buying is in good shape or you know what to expect. You know, and, and you know, another thing that I always thought was interesting too is like when you buy a house, you know, they inspect the house for the insurance and all. Now, and, and the mortgage company, what uh like you you don't really need that inspection so you know it's up to the person like they can't file a claim with you and say oh you know this this air the engine broke or something like that i need to go file file a claim and you find out that hey they, this guy bought this airplane like this i mean i got i say that's fraudulent i guess is really what that is well i guess you know that's really tricky i don't work in claims we don't handle that aspect it and I'm sure they value it on a case-to-case basis. If it was something you didn't know about when you bought the aircraft, I'm sure there's some leniency or something they do there. Right, right. Um, but, you know, maybe, yeah, I, I wouldn't know in that case if they could go after the previous owner or, you know, who knows. But, yeah, there's yeah. There, it's rare to have fraudulent things happen in aircraft insurance. Hopefully so, most pilots out there are pretty honest. <laughs> so what's the most expensive single engine to insure? Do you know that, that answer? Single engine? Oh, we do all kinds of stuff. I mean, um, we insure from, you know, flight schools to, you know, I don't know, like banner towing. We have jets. Um, single engines, you know, you could do the Pilatus or, or you know, what was the new Piper whatever, Meridian, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But really, you name it, we can do it. Non-owned insurance, CFI insurance. Because there's there's another thing in that whole formula, I guess, is not just obviously the valuation that we're talking about today is is the person operating the aircraft. Oh That's yeah, big, when when you go to the, the talking about the actual price of what your insurance is going to cost you, they usually rate it based on the lowest time pilot, so your time comes into factor. Um, you know, total time, if it's a retractable gear aircraft, they want to know how much retract time you have. Same if it's a tail wheel, multi-engine time. Um, if you had time in similar aircraft, um, what your training is. You know, some aircraft require annual training, things right. like that. Do you know of any aircraft that's maybe more restrictive based on, you know, is it a retractable, is it a multi-engine, the ones that uh, tend to have these higher premiums if you will well again as i said before so much comes into factor you could have a super high haul value on a basic you know fixed gear aircraft and the insurance could be expensive because of just the haul value yeah like Um, the cirrus for instance cirrus has um yeah they're they're up there but that's a lot because of their haul value as well most right right yeah But they, um, a lot of them require instrument ratings. That's what I see a lot. If you don't have an instrument rating in a Cirrus, you're probably going to pay a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, the instrument rating is one certificate that generally helps pilots get a lower insurance rate in, 
what about commercial? I mean, is anything beyond in commercial or, I mean, is instrument really? I think you know, instrument is the big ticket. The biggest. Um, commercial, I don't, I don't think they look at it as much. ATP after that might just because you have a billion hours. But yeah. um, instrument is, is a definitely a good one to have. If you're getting into any um, faster or retractable gear airplane, having an instrument rating, first of all, is beneficial to you to begin with. I mean, even if you don't fly IFR, it's amazing training that I don't think um, is a waste at all. You will definitely benefit from instrument training. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it does help to have an instrument rating and insurance. You know, and one one more, are we allowed to go on one more tangent as far as insurance? I know we're talking about whole value, but hey, go for it. But but in general, here's something interesting I found is say you want to go fly a twin engine airplane. Let's just talk about twins, insuring those, and then being able to fly them is two different things. Like you can buy a twin very easily if you have the money, you can buy it. But it may take a long time till some insurance company will allow you to fly that thing at a reasonable rate. So you know, sometimes you have to find a, a, a flight instructor, etc. And something I've run into lately, I don't have a whole bunch of multi-engine piston time. You know, yeah. I, I may only have like say 200 hours, uh, 250 hours of piston multi. And you know, a lot of the folks that I want to rent from or use their airplanes, they're like, you know, what is your recent multi-engine piston time? And uh, zero, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in the past 10 years or something like that. I have um, a funny story to add to that, Carl, because yeah. I was looking at it. I was looking at a job, another aviation job, and their time requirement for their job is um, multi-engine turboprop time. So it's very similar, you know, but they want you to have time like in something like a King Air or a Beechcraft 1900, right? Hmm. So it's hilarious because in your situation and yet again in my situation, the thousands of hours we have in a transport category jet moving passengers won't it, it, it's meaningless in this instance. I mean, I can't even get a job. The funny thing is, you know, for me, it was, this is my first airline job. I went straight into a jet. Some people, some people work for you know, a company before then to get turboprop time, to get enough experience to move on. When I came through, I didn't have to do that. I never in a million years would have thought that advancing straight to a jet in my career would hinder me in the future. It's just the most mind-boggling <laughs> thing. You know, yeah. I, I can't get a job now because I have no turboprop time. That kind of goes back to their looking at the type of aircraft time you have experience in. Yes. So, um, but you know, when you were speaking about having trouble getting insurance, like if Carl was going to go buy a multi-engine aircraft, that's why it's important to come to a broker like us that shops all of the market. We look at not just the rates, but the training requirements that you have to go through and what looks best for your future. So you might start off with a higher rate, you know, with, some carrier and have these dual requirements. But once you work your way up and get the experience and your, you know, required time of dual instruction in the aircraft, it will go down from there. It all happens with experience and time. And of course, making sure that, um, you know, the broker you call, call covers all the markets. There's a lot of markets out there to shop for aviation insurance. And when we shop all of them, that means we're getting a number from all of them. Well, that's interesting, you know, that, and that, that but I'm learning so much here about insurance. This is terrific, and um, you know that that's it's. It, how about like renters' insurance? I mean, that must be wide and varied as far as when you're renting a twin compared to renting a single engine. I would think. Well, surprisingly, um, we we do uh, non-owned aircraft insurance, and it's just a set rate. Really? 
So yeah, we have multi-engine oh, ones. That's a set rate to fl um, fly multi-engine, single engine, whatever. If you're just doing the single engine aircraft, yeah, it's a little bit cheaper. Um, but yeah, that's um, that's pretty much a set rate based on the um, the damage you're buying, the um, property damage amount, and your liability amount you want to buy, and your medical amount. So that's just a set rate there. Interesting. Huh. So like, if you're if you were own if your friend owned an airplane, then their insurance cover you, but you should also get insurance yourself. Is that is that correct? Yeah, it's always safe to do that, and you want to also make sure you're you're okay under their policy. There's something called an open pilot warranty. So let's say you wanted to go fly your friend Cessna, and the open pilot warranty says your friend must have at least 500 hours total time and 20 hours in that make and model aircraft. So you want to make sure you qualify under that as well. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> but, uh, and of, of course, if, if you have the money, you can go out and hire somebody to, to fly you around if you don't have the time in it. Um, and that, that happens a lot, and it's a great opportunity for flight instructors. They build oh, time. Yeah. I see that all the time at the airport. There's and that's a lot terrific. of people that just buy airplanes and say, I need a pilot. You know, and that's good. I think that's terrific because they really need – a lot of folks should do that, you know, especially if they're going back and forth to meetings. You know, they they uh, they definitely, you know, should do that. You know, they should go out and hire somebody to be able to to fly them around safely, you know. And, I would have loved that job. <laughs> I did some of that while I was flight instructing. Did you? Yeah, we had um, a couple of different folks who own the aircraft, and in this particular instance, a couple of them were not pilots and really had no desire to be, but they had purchased, you know, personal general aviation aircraft for getting around efficiently for meetings and other things. Um, and I did, <laughs> I think I did some of my craziest, longest flights and in those pilot service uh, trips. But um, then we had a couple of folks who were pilots and bought an aircraft and we, you know, we would go along with them. I didn't get, I missed this one opportunity. Um, but we had one gentleman who bought a TBM 700 and needed one of our uh, instructors to go along with him to, you know, for his insurance requirements. So that, that was a cool opportunity. The most, most of the flying I did was in the Cessna 206 and the 414. Um, but it was fun. It was like it was a nice way to break up flight instructing because, you know, OK, you're going to go on a trip to Atlanta with Joe Schmo for the weekend and they're going to put you up in the Sheraton downtown. And, you know, it's like, yeah, heck, yeah, sounds good to me. Send me. I'll go. I'll do that. So that's a fun way to fly, too. <laughs> that's cool. But uh, wow. Sorry. Sorry. We, we, we drilled you tonight here about all this, Victoria. <laughs> I, I hope I did uh, well if my boss listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna send a copy like, of this said to them. That wrong. <laughs> I gotta go back and you know hear it before you release it and maybe edit things out. It'll be like bleeps when I say something wrong. <laughs> but, you know, that's the problem too with insurance. You know, it's it's it. There's so many factors to it. It's hard to give a a solid answer on things. So sure, sure, yeah. and especially you know in, in transitioning to different airplanes, you never you don't really realize the that the ramifications on your insurance is like, yeah, I'll just buy this uh, Cessna, you know, this 210 and I'll just, you know, I have a 172 now and, oh, it's a pressurized one. Oh, maybe my insurance is going to go up and you, and you think it's not going to be much higher, but, but it is, you know, because you're transitioning to another airplane. And, but yep. uh, speaking of which transitioning to other airplanes, uh, Len, you're transitioning to a new, no, you're not. You're transitioning to a different seat in an airplane, aren't you? 
it may as well be transitioning to a different airplane. You, well, what do you what do you got going on? I, I think you said uh, you're you're moving to the left seat of the aircraft you're in. The left seat, yes, that's correct. And what that means is, essentially, uh, job promotion, if you will. Uh, for those who don't are familiar with how the airlines necessarily work, it's a seniority based system. I've been a first officer for the last six and a half years, flying right seat in the Embraer 145, and I'm currently in training for um, for the captain position to fly the Embraer 145 as pilot in command. Oh, boy, and watch it, out. <laughs> yeah, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> it may be the same airplane, but it is not the same airplane. And let me tell you why. It kind of actually reminds me of that story I told a few episodes back about that Bonanza flight I went on. You know, you get so used to doing something in an airplane. Like you fly the spe- you fly one kind of airplane all the time from the left seat or the right seat, you know, especially in flight instructing. You fly the Cessna 172 so many hours from the right seat. One day you go out, you want to do some approaches, you sit in the left seat, and you're like, oh, my gosh. I, you know, you just kind of, you got to take a minute and slow down and get reacquainted with the other side. Just like that Bonanza flight I did, you know, I was just totally disoriented by the cockpit layout. I'm experiencing some of the same things in the jet, and it's hilarious because I've flown this airplane for 3,500 hours from the right seat. I move three feet over and I can't do anything right. You know, it's just like the, the my, my everything I do now is with my right hand instead of my left hand. And I'm reaching to adjust my seat and the button's on the other side. I can't reach the autopilot because I'm trying to use the wrong hand. So it's just been an interesting experience. But yes, moving over to the left seat, same airplane more responsibility. And you know what I realized actually just this week is at first I thought, I, you know, I might sound like a smart ass for saying this, but at first I thought it was twice as much money for half as much work. But in reality, what I've realized <laughs> is it's not even the same job, okay? Nah. Flying as a first officer and flying as a captain are not the same job. And what I mean by that is, you know, my duties as a first officer were to do a pre-flight and post-flight inspection on the aircraft, make sure that the weight and balance and the performance and, and all that stuff was up to speed, um, assist the captain in decision-making, uh, helping with the flight plan, flying the airplane, those kinds of things. What I've realized over the last two weeks of all this stuff we've been talking about as a captain is, you know, I don't even, I don't have those duties anymore. My my range now, my field of view is pretty much gone from, if you want to call it like tunnel vision of focusing on certain tasks inside the airplane, has now gone to like a 180-degree panoramic view. Now, now I'm paying attention to what the guy outside is doing on the tug and the guy putting the bags on the airplane and the gate agent and the flight attendant and the customers and the passengers in the back who are complaining that their bags don't fit and they refuse to check them. And so now it's not just doing weight and balance and performance, it's, I'm responsible for everything, you know, and, and there's a lot more to being responsible for as a PIC and, you know, in a transport category jet than being PIC when I was flying my friend's um, Piper 6X, because, you know, there's similar responsibilities as far as safety and weather avoidance and those kinds of things, but there's a lot less going on. Like, I don't have a tug, I don't have a flight attendant, I don't have baggage handlers. I don't have a gate agent. I have all kinds of other things going on that I have to deal with. So it's been a huge 
learning curve. And uh, today was our first time actually getting in the flight training device. And even today, uh, simmed up with my or paired up with my simulator partner, they sat left seat and I sat right seat. And we went through the scenario. So I still yet, as of right now, two weeks into it, still haven't sat in that left seat um, to do anything. But, you know, all these things are going on in my mind about how I, I, I'm just going to be completely, it's like, you know, being completely mirror opposite. So it'll be an interesting transition. But so far, it's been good. We've had, uh, I brought out my list here so I could sort of give you guys a, a rundown. Carl, it's been years since you went through captain training. And oh, I don't yeah. <laughs> really sure what people know um, you know, non-airline people, if they know much about the process, but this particular process for me consists of we had um, two days of basic indoctrination, which is uh, it's it's a process where we go through our flight ops manual and become reacquainted because you really. Sh- I mean, we all know this stuff because, again, I've been doing this as a first officer for six and a half years, but now I'm looking at it from a different perspective. So you're you're not just reminding yourself of, you know, refreshing your memory on information you are once familiar with, but you're learning it in a new way. You're learning a new way to apply it. And, uh, you know, new some things have even new meanings that you didn't realize before. So this basic indoctrination class is two days. Um, of learning our flight operations manual, which is, you know, soup to nuts, everything operationally, how do I get, you know, from point A to point B safely under the guidance of the company. The next we had, um, let's see, we had two days of cockport, co- yeah, cockport, cockpit <laughs> resource management. And that's just a reminder of how to, you know, how to work together as a two crew environment. There's a lot of interesting things that come into play with a two-crew environment. You know, there's more dynamics. It's interesting to to see the changes over the last six and a half years when I first started here. That you know, not to say that I was timid, but you as when when you're new to a two-crew environment, sometimes you're not sure when to be assertive and raise your concern or make a comment or you know, say to the captain, hey, I disagree with that, because you don't want, you know, you, you're just not sure the boundaries yet. And so, um, you know, cockpit resource and crew resource management, there's a lot that goes into reminding us how to work together and essentially reminding us to, you know, as a first officer, don't be bashful as a captain be accepting of what the other person has to say so that you can find that medium ground to make sure that you do get the aircraft safely from point A to point B and that everybody is on the same page. And some things as simple as, you know, communicating clearly in the fact that, you know, you've got a, uh, there was one story in class, we kind of laughed at this. The gentleman was saying that he was flying with a brand new first officer he says to the first officer, you know, they were on the, uh, they were coming down on the, on the, um, the arrival into one of the airports, and he says to him, "How do I look?" And the first officer says to him, "Well, um, you know, your your necktie is kind of crooked, and uh, you, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, he, and so you know, it's just you gotta, you gotta, you have to be specific. So it's kind of it's fun to go through those classes. It's fun to get a reminder of you know how to com- like it's how to communicate like, once again. So we had two days of that. And then I had four days of aircraft systems, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when I put this in perspective for you, 
the first opportunity when I first came through tr airline training, we had 10 days of airline systems. They have crunched all that 10 days down into basically three and a half because we had three days. But then we went in on the fourth day and had a half. We had like two hours of, of, uh, of um, you know, learning the systems, and then we took the exam. So again, you know, where we are, if this is not information that's new to us. Uh, you know, as an aircraft operator, you you know what's you know the systems of your airplane, but to take ten days and condense it down into four was definitely like you know putting your definitely that that analogy of putting your mouth around the mouth around the fire hose there so uh that was great you know so far so good and today i had my first actually yesterday we had what else do we have something um oh we we talked about human sentiment centered automation training how to basically not let a perfectly good airplane fly into uh the ground there's some cool stuff in there uh, I won't talk too much about that because I could go on about different stories. And then we had uh, mountainous terrain ops. And today was, again, today was the first time I did the uh, the flight training device. So I've got, where's my other schedule? Oh, it's over here. It's on my other side. I've got three three flights in the flight training device, which is basically getting acquainted to sitting in the left seat, doing your cockpit flows, which are all brand new because they're completely different. I'm I'm learning the other side of the airplane, you know, the buttons that are on your side, Carl, are not the buttons that are on my side on the overhead panel. So now I've don't got switch them out. in the wrong direction. <laughs> exactly right. Don't yeah. Don't turn the fuel pump off. Put it on. <laughs> so I'm learning all of that, and then we have uh, like five simulator flights, and then a um, a check ride in the simulator which is my type rating check ride and before that actually before all that we have an oral exam just like it's it's the same as when you go and get your private your instrument your commercial you get an oral exam you got a practical flight a practical exam in the airplane same thing you know but our flight lessons are three in the flight training device which is uh the flight training device is a full cockpit mock-up it just has uh, has no motion so it's just stationary and then we have the uh, like i said the where did it go five one two three four five flights in the full the full motion simulator a check ride is the sixth flight and then the seventh flight in the simulator is a line oriented uh, line oriented flight training and that's essentially in the simulator a captain and a first officer paired together and they put you in the simulator and you're going to operate a revenue flight from point a to point b in real time and they want to observe how you're interacting how you handle the aircraft sometimes they throw emergencies and abnormal situations at you and so that you know you're in the safety of the simulator how are you going to handle this how are you going to handle that after that Tell me about like as if as if there wasn't there wasn't enough things going on here. <laughs> After all of that, I'm tired just thinking about what I have left here, Carl. After that, yeah, I have uh, there's there's a process called operating experience where you fly with a training captain in the aircraft now with passengers, and they observe you for. I mean, you've you've got the type rating. You're. Um, you know, you've been certified by the FAA for operating this aircraft as pilot in command. Now they just want to make sure that you can still do it safely in the actual airplane. So this training captain will go with you for about 10 or 15 hours and then sign you off. And then one more, um, one more flight with an FAA observer to give you the final blessing. So 
I don't know if anybody's counting, but I had um, the ATP written exam that I had to pass. We had two written exams, one last week, one this week in ground school. I've got a check ride in the flight training device, an oral exam, a check ride in the full flight simulator, a this uh, check ride, which is you know the loft, the training captain flights and the FAA observation. I already lost count, but I think it's like seven or eight different check rides or testing things that are going on through this whole process. So uh, this is a nice break to be talking to you guys tonight. I'll tell you what. <laughs> you know, I, had, I, I almost laughed when you said final blessing. I imagined a priest like giving you a sign of the cross <laughs> and sprinkling holy water on you. I don't know why. Uh, That's just what came to my head. <laughs> omni, omni, V-O-R. <laughs> well, it's funny. Some people do kiss the ground afterwards. <laughs> Wow. So yeah, I've Dude, been that's... I've been buried under notebooks and just I've, yeah, it's been a fun experience. I'm definitely looking forward to it. But it's going to be a, it's going to be a change, a huge cultural shock. Oh, sure. You know, like I said, in in operating differently because I'm not you know I'm not here to do task A, B, and C. I am now have to expand my horizon and take in the big picture. And while that might seem you know, kind of silly to the to you listeners out there, you know, from folks who operated general aviation aircraft, when you put in perspective what I've been doing for six and a half years for nearly 3,500 hours of muscle memory from one side of the airplane, that's when it makes a little more sense that, you know, it's going to be awkward for, for a little, you know, for a time frame, getting used to moving over three feet to a new seat, a new perspective new buttons using my my left hand on the yoke and my right hand on the thrust levers instead of vice versa so i'm you know i'm having a good time i tell you that much it's definitely it's definitely been a fun process so far so at this point i've got i think i've still got a couple more weeks left it's not quite over yet i'm not quite at the halfway point when we hit that oral exam i think everything from there is downhill yeah wow hey um I got a couple of questions, Len, if you don't mind, about, sure. about this whole Carl's process. Full of them today. Uh, I tell you, I, it's just you got my curiosity going today. I don't know what it is. I think it was the, <laughs> the Pino, my friend Pino Grigio is here with me. The, uh, <laughs> That's a good friend. <laughs> oh, it's a great friend. But you know, when you were telling me all this, first of all, the, the training has changed over the years, and, and we work for the same company. And uh, you know, when I went through, we had a captain class. I don't know if you have that, where they teach you how to make decisions as a captain. They took it out. They, they took, took it out. It out. Yeah. yeah, they actually were. They sort of integrated into the um, crew right. resource management, right? right. Um, but yeah, they that used because that used to be actually a whole day. I see it on my schedule. It used to be a full eight-hour day for that. And, and you know, just to to expand on what you said, there there's one really important or two really important things that I think, uh, and as you go through the training, you'll find out later are really the most important things to the airline. You know, obviously keeping it safe, but you're orchestrating all these different people like you touched on before you're orchestrating all these these movements around you and you mm-hmm. have to keep in mind that all those things are going on because why because if that plane goes out late it's your fault you're the one that that's going to get blamed and called into the chief pilot's office and mm-hmm. they're going to say why were you one minute late well this and this and this happened and, and as you know there's lots of statistics that are being taken uh, so if something happens to this this big orchestra, if one instrument falls apart, now you are the one that has to say, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna change that. I'm gonna, you know, make sure that this is done 
And then while that's being done, I need to make sure the fueler is getting the fuel in the aircraft. And oh, by the way, this other thing broke. And oh, Captain, we, you know, we have somebody with a service pig. Can that come on board? And mm-hmm. those, those things are, are going to be really interesting. And honestly, uh, I don't know how much of that you can teach over a short period of time. It, it's, it, I think it's probably you've been observing captains doing this uh, all the time. And, right. You know, one thing that someone told me a long time ago before I upgraded to captain, he said to me, he says, you know the difference? between sitting in the right seat and the left seat, when you're in the right seat, you turn left and you ask the captain, what should we do? Or what do you think? And Because they make the final decision. Now you look left and there's a window. And there's nobody there. <laughs> there's no one there. So now you're the one that has to make that decision no matter what. So now there's this, you actually feel compelled to know as much as you can about your aircraft, about everything else. And uh, what's interesting is when you have to think out, you really do, have to think outside the box on a consistent mm-hmm. basis. I'm sure you've seen that. And, you know, like when, when I upgraded, I went through what you called OE, you know, the initial operating experience or operating experience as a captain. The first decision, this was like my first day, and I'm worried only about getting the airplane out on time. My first decision was the flight attendant calls up and says, hey, listen, we have a man in the back. He's going to Iraq. He put three bags on board. He just found out his daughter died in a car, tra- car accident. What do we do? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, uh, uh, you know, I knew what I would do, but I'm being tested right now. And, you know, if it was me, I'd just tell him to get off the airplane. I look at the guy next to me, he's a Czech airman. I say, well, you know, if it was me, I'd, I'd take him off the airplane. He says, you better get that guy off the airplane. He says, I don't care how late this plane goes. We're getting his bags, getting him off the airplane. He's got to go, go be with his family. I was like, wow. You know, th- those are the little decisions or big decisions that you, you make as a captain, other than, of course, if something breaks and that type of thing, you know, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and getting around weather and are you too far out over the water and those, all, just a whole modicum of, of things. And I, I think that'll, that'll come with experience. But I'm sure, uh, Len, have you been, I assume, been really observing the people next to you when, you, when you've been flying? Yeah, you know, I find that there sounds like there's stories out there of some folks who tend to maybe get complacent and just being a first officer and not always participating 100% in what's going on. And I'm not going to say that I'm that one, you know, that one guy who uh, who does everything perfectly. But as a pilot, I've always just been more, I, I try to be more observant and more cautious. And what I mean by that is the first thing I thought to myself when I actually started this job nearly six and a half years ago is, I realized I was brand new in the airplane, but I also realized that just because there's a guy in the left seat who is more senior to me, they do not, these jobs are not assigned based on ability. It's based on seniority, okay? So that person could still make as many mistakes as I could, even though they're the final authority of what happens in the airplane. Something I always took with me was, you know what? I'm still going to act like I'm a flight instructor and I'm still going to watch what's going on. And when something's going on that I don't feel comfortable with or what I want, you know, when I want should speak up, that's kind of how I went into this job is I'm not actually teaching this guy, but I'm going to sit here and pretend like I'm a flight instructor just to make sure I have to pause for a minute because this Emirates 777 is flying right over my head. And it is the only way I know it's Emirates is because it's painted on the belly. That's crazy. Hear this. I don't know. I don't know if you heard that. Cool. Oh, yeah. We got to keep that one in. But um, airplane noise. Airplane noise. So, you know, that was sort of my perspective going in was to just act like a flight instructor. And I feel that that kind of carried me through over the years of making sure that I stayed learning stuff. I always ask questions. What's this? What's that? What does this mean? Uh, You know, so I feel 
very comfortable in the airplane and and making some of these decisions. But the odd thing being that, you know, after I, the reason I keep mentioning the 3,500 hours is because six and a half year six and a half years doesn't mean squat. If I flew 20 hours, you know, versus 3,500 hours, it, there's there's something that you can correlate to. 3,500 hours of my recent flight time has been as second in command. I'm not making decisions the same way that I'm going to be going forward. So that's sort of where, not that I don't know how to, because we, you know, flying general aviation aircraft as a flight instructor and on those pilot service trips, I was it, I was the PIC. It's just something I haven't done recently. So it's kind of a, you know, reminding yourself of, hey, you're you're the guy who's butts on the line here. Um, you want a plane so load of Yeah, I'm excited. I, I, yeah. It's being a plane full of passengers. You know what I said yesterday? They said uh, there was some comment that the passenger made on the plane about, you know, when us and we were laughing and we were like, right, because our lives are less valuable than yours. I can guarantee you if it's not my day, it's not your day. <laughs> you know, if I don't want to die in this thing today, you're not going to die in this thing today. You know, I want to go home too. So right. I'm going to do everything I can to get from A to B safely. So, uh, you know, it's the strangest thing you hear passengers say, but that's those, those are stories for a whole nother day. Oh yeah. A whole nother show. Maybe a whole new podcast. Rants, rants from the cabin. (laughs) (laughs) Rants from the cabin. Well, that's cool. then, man, I tell you, that's some, some neat stuff. I just, all that, you know, one thing that you said that I think is really cool. And I think our audience really could appreciate is that, you know, these people don't, they're flying their 172. They're the captain. You know, they're making all these decisions. Yeah. Here's here you right. are, have thousands of hours. And not that you're not involved in that decision, but you're you're not the pilot in command. And these folks have been pilot in command for all these years. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, they are the captain of that airplane. Uh whether it's one seat or two seats or fifty or five hundred, yeah. you know, the captain's always gonna be the captain. And you're gonna have to make those decisions. And that's that's really I, I think it's it's flying is just a series of decisions that we constantly make and you know reevaluate the outcomes of those decisions on a consistent basis. And now what's exciting is you'll be able to do that. Now you're now you're part of that. You are making that decision. Right. And, and you know, so they're providing me with the tools and now I'm the one that has to figure out how to put the pieces together. And that's that's what excites me. It's like, you know what? Before it was just sitting in the right seat, you know, things as simple as taxiing. I'm not responsible for taxiing the aircraft. I'm responsible to slam on the brakes if I see something, you know, on my side of the airplane that we may hit. But in general, you know, the first time I went back to a general aviation aircraft and I was taxiing around on the ramp, I had to keep reminding myself, look out the window, dummy, look at your wingtips. You're driving this thing. You're, <laughs> if you hit that hangar, it's your fault, moron, not the other guy, you know, and it was just like simple things like that that are so far removed from a recent from a recency standpoint that you just have to remind yourself of hey pay attention <laughs> well then are we going to hear more about this maybe i'm i'm really curious about the, well there's the plenty more to tell you because not only have i gone through all of this nonsense but what i forgot to mention is the dear faa is going to be observing me on not only my oral exam but my proficiency check or my uh my um you know, the check ride in the aircraft. So if if you thought that there is some stress involved now, now I have now I have a duty to be to perform at an even higher level. So carrying through and the other thing, I don't want to brag, but I'm very proud of this accomplishment. 
I have never in 15 years failed a check ride or a stage check or anything for reading a certificate. And I do not intend for this to be my first. So Wait, I've got my go own. find some wood. Knock. <laughs> knock on wood. I'm knocking. I'm, I'm knocking. knocking I'm knocking. You hear me? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's just something I'm very proud of, something I've been very fortunate to, to, uh, to make all of these different accomplishments um, successfully, not, not without bumps and bruises by any means, but just have made it through. And so, you know, I want to make sure that uh, continuing forward, you know, I'm, I'm sort of holding myself to that higher standard. And I tell you, the fact that the FAA is going to be sitting in on the rest of my check rides is definitely helping keep me at the top of my game. So, I mean, yeah, when I finish, you know, tell you guys how the rest of this goes, obviously, as I get through it, more updates, but uh, it's a life-changing event. You know, Len, if, if I could just in case we don't talk to each other between those check rides and now I had this check airman who gave me some really good advice. He said, just don't screw up. Yeah. Like, like my, something thanks. my dad would say, don't do something stupid. <laughs> just don't screw up. I was like, thanks buddy. <laughs> <laughs> now you'll do so, fine. Len, you'll do great. I mean, I've flown with you a bunch of times, so I think, I think you'll do fine. It uh, sounds like the, uh, just don't screw up. Like the cleaner version of the astronaut's prayer. <laughs> What's yeah, that? We will not repeat that it? here. No. Oh, well, I, email I'll it say, to me. I'll say the cleaner version. I, was yes, it uh, was it Buzz Aldrin? Uh, I can't. Uh, now I'm not. Now the gentleman who said it is going to escape my mind. But one of the <clears throat> one of the one of the moon missions, one of the astronauts just. This is, I believe, it's an. I don't think it's an urban legend. I understood this to be an actual an actual truth. But one of the astronauts right before um, right before lift, keyed up the mic and said. Dear Lord, please don't let me f this up. <laughs> I and like it. They forever since referred to that as the astronauts' prayer. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, maybe maybe your grandfather can attest to this. If there's any truth, to <laughs> I'll have to ask him. <laughs> <laughs> oh shucks! Well, man, we have talked our faces off tonight, Carl. I don't think we're going to get to hear about your flying excursion. But I want to make sure that we talk about this in the next episode because you recently went to Canada and had a flight crew member detained. Yes, yes. Uh, I can't talk much about that, but I can talk in general. It's happened more than once. And uh, what uh, this is a teaser uh, is that, you know, how to keep yourself from being detained if you go to Canada. And we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, maybe next time. We'll talk about flying to Canada, what you need to know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll discuss, uh, some of the things you need to know about your own background before you go there. That's good. Cause I have a Canada experience in a GA airplane that, um, we can share with that. So that'll cool. be, yeah. Cause I had an experience that was contradictory to what I was, my expectation of, mm. uh, quote unquote, clearing Canadian customs. So to be, uh, to be continued. Yes. All right. Our picks of the week. Okay, moving on to our picks of the week. Victoria, actually, you had something like you mentioned that was relating to aircraft valuation. So why don't we go ahead and jump over to you again, first in line? All right. Um, Today in my talk, I talked about the importance of aircraft valuation, and I mentioned my company offers a free aircraft valuation. So um, all you need to do to get that is visit our website, which is www.air-pros, air-pros.com. Uh, click on the free air-pros.com. 
<laughs> I don't know how many shameless plugs I can shoot in here tonight. <laughs> You're pushing um, for a big race lately. I can tell. <laughs> let's see. Let's see what this, you know, if the social media, you know, oh. um, podcast world can do. For oh, you me. guys do a good job. And that's not because I know you, but I've met your boss. He's a down to earth guy. You guys provide, this is no joke, um, but you guys provide a great service and, when the time comes that I need insurance, I'm I'm going nowhere else. And that is the really that is the God honest truth, and that's no <laughs> no plus. No, um, you know, I wouldn't talk about it if I didn't enjoy it, and if I didn't like the people I worked with, or didn't enjoy what we do there, and didn't believe in it, I wouldn't be talking about it right now, and I probably still wouldn't be work. I wouldn't be working there. So that just shows you that we are awesome and we rock. So anyway. Air-pros.com. Click on the aircraft valuation button to get started. I think there's a big graphic off to the right there when you uh, log on. Um, simply fill out the short form, and your request will be submitted to us and sent to one of our knowledgeable agents. And if you're looking for a new aircraft or buying out a partner, um, if you're in the need of a title search, with uh, one just one click on the box in the form, you'll receive a 20% off a title search if you request an insurance quote through us. So request a quote, get 20% off a title search, get a free aircraft valuation. That's one phone call, one form that can get you everything you need. So again, air-pros.com. <laughs> Good job. Good job. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. Commercials and then have you be like that fast talking guy at the end. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever that crazy fool says. Um, cool, awesome. I just found the other day. This is why I want. I want this new. Actually, it just came out. In fact, because I, I saw it come through the feed a couple days ago, and um, it's a iPhone, iPad application called Social Flight, and it's really nifty. Because what it does is it basically takes all the aviation events um, and puts them visually on a map. And so why is that cool? Because it's location-based. So when you fly into your local airport, you can pull up this app. It's free, mind you, and it's called Social Flight. And, uh, you, you know, you can open up this application. You can see what events are going on where. You can see where they are in the country. They're all on a map, what, what type of events they are. If they're fly-ins, pancake breakfast, air shows, and like I said, it will use your current location so that you can see what's nearest to you. Uh, what else does this have? It's got you know you can you can go through a date range anywhere from today to the next sixty days. Enter you can there's a, ma a place where you can manually enter an airport, and um, it's just a really neat app. I actually found one, and I, I don't know if I'm going to go tomorrow, but since I'm stranded down here in texas if you will for the weekend uh i found one locally there's a where did it go eh i'm talking all canadian right hey. now hey um yeah there's one not far from me that i, I was like i'm playing with this app the other day uh, on my lunch break from class and i was like hey there's an event up there and um where this one is there's all kinds of things at uh hooks airport they're having a, a bar, free barbecue and wing seminar, and I'm, and that's you know that's tomorrow, the day after we're recording this. So, you know, I may go rent a car tomorrow and go up there just for just for giggles. So this app's pretty cool. It's like I said, it shows you uh, what events are going on locally around you, you know, and and displays them on a map. Social flight. It's available on the iPad, iPhone, iPod. It is a free application. 
check it out. Cool. Do you know what's Mr. Cool? Carl? What? Wilson just peed on the desk. <laughs> at you know, least the things that happen while I'm trying to record a podcast. While I'm podcasting, at <laughs> least you're not eating chocolate, trying to just trying to distinguish whether or not that's poop or chocolate on your fingers. Oh yeah, that that was an issue that one day. I think I fell off my chair <laughs> I laughing. Washed my that hands. Hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> that was so bad. I don't remember what I, I was eating. Oh, chocolate covered um, popcorn, and it was like getting all melty, and then. You know, the hedgehog was nearby, and then I was really confused, so. (laughs) I washed Uh, my hands. The hedgehog. Love that little rat. Oh, so cute. Hog, I suppose. Actually, not rat. Um, Carl, tell us about your pick of the week, sir. All right, and let's see. Which one was I doing today? The... uh, something historians. Oh, yeah. the... oh, there it is. Yes, I have it up here now. The oh, the Society of Air Race Historians. That's the next on my list. Yeah, this is a really cool website. It's airrace.com. If you want to go there, airrace.com, and the Society of Air Race Historians. These are people that have a real passion for air racing, but they also have a passion for preserving the heritage of air racing, and also they get together for different events. It started back in the 80s, in the mid-80s, and uh, just a bunch of guys got together in the Cleveland area, and what they decided, hey, let's do this again. Let's get together. They had kind of like a symposium, and what they started doing is they wanted to make accurate records of all the different air races, the pilots, the planes, and all these different things, and put them somewhere, and also discuss them. And one of those things that they come up with is a newsletter and a website. It's airrace.com. And this organization, I, I've learned a lot about air races because I was, I was interested in, you know, what, what was the predecessor to the Reno Air Races. I thought, you know, basically that was the, one of the oldest air races around. Come to find out Reno is actually young, fairly young, compared to a lot of the other races that are out there. I mean, they had... Uh, you know, and you can find this out on their website, but they had like the Gordon Bennett Trophy races back in, in the 1910s, 1920s, and, you know, Schneider Trophies, the Cleveland Air Races. And then, of course, after the war, they had some amazing uh, air races because of all the different fighters that were coming back. And, uh, you know, with the, the P-51s, uh, the P-38s, and, and all these different aircraft that are really, really cool. Interestingly enough, when I was looking up the history of air races after uh, this past year, they had an incident over, or an accident, I should say, over in in Reno, I discovered that these people really are passionate about their air racing. And the reason we heard a lot from them is that they tried to distinguish between what's an air race and what's an air show. You know, an air, air race is a race. It's a race car. It's like racing around in airplanes. And if you want to find out who's won some of these events and how fast the aircraft were going, and you can see all about like Jimmy Doolittle and the GB Racer, and you can go find pictures, this is these are the people. And really, you can join this organization. I think it's fairly cheap, but one of the things they ask is is to actually have a true passion or a true interest in in preserving that history. So again, that's airrace.com. Check it out, and I think you'll learn something. Excellent. The After Landing Checklist. Victoria, let the listeners know, as usual, how they can find you, get in touch with you, and pester you. www.air-pros.com. No, no. (laughs) Just kidding. Well, you can find me there. 
But um, you could, yes, Monday through <laughs> Monday through Friday. Monday through she, Friday. She promises to, to work a full half day. Yeah, I promise. Dude, <laughs> though, I tell you, I would love it if I could work ten to two. It would be perfect. I'd be a powerhouse if it was ten to two, because I wouldn't have that wake up <laughs> moment and then like that is it five yet moment. It would be great. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway. To get in touch with me, www.toriaflies.blogspot.com is my blog at Toriaflies, my Twitter. All right, Carl. Well, when I'm, uh, I guess, not perusing the air and the cumulonimbus clouds of the summertime, I can be found on the internet at expertaviator.com, and that's the same on Twitter and on Facebook, Expert Aviator. Yes, indeed, I am available through thepilotreport.com, also the Pilot Report on Facebook and Twitter. From myself, Len Costa, Carvalari, uh, Victoria Newville, and our missing co-host in action, Mr. Rick Felty, we all do thank you for tuning in to episode number 28 of the Stuck Mike Avcast and wish you guys clear skies and calm winds. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Abcast is an aviation podcast brought to you by thepilotreport.com, a Len Costa production.